Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Welcome along to episode 2, part 2 of After the Gold Rush with myself, David Sheehan. The podcast series from LMFM looking back on a particularly turbulent time for Meath football in the mid-2000s in the wake of Sean Boylan's departure after 23 years in charge. Now, if you've missed episode 1 or indeed part 1 of the second episode, you can go back and listen to those on lmfm.ie, the LMFM app, or wherever you get your podcasts. In episode one, I spoke to former Meath captain Anthony Moyles and Brian Farrell about Sean Boylan's final year in charge and the changes that Sean was trying to bring in in the bid to revive Meath's prospects. Unfortunately, didn't quite work out as Sean would have hoped and he stepped down at the end of 2005. Then in part one of the second episode, I spoke to Colm Keyes about really all the off-field turmoil that came along after Eamon Barry was appointed. He had a run-in with the county board very quickly after getting the job and we discussed that in a lot of detail in part one of this second episode. In this second part of episode 2, we're going to speak about the on-field activities from 2006 with Kevin Riley and Brian Farrell, who's back again to discuss that particular year. Just before we get to the lads, let's have a quick look and a quick reminder about what went on in 2006. First of all, Eamon Barry left no stone unturned and unearthed quite a few new players as Meath won the O'Byrne Cup in fine style, beating Dublin in the semi-final and Offaly in the final. So a good start for the new man. A little bit tougher in the league, Meath opened with a defeat against Down. They then beat Armagh and Leash before losing to Wexford, losing to Kildare by a couple of points and then taking a bit of a hammering against Galway down in Salt Hill. They won their final game against Derry. First league win, incidentally, over Derry in 25 years. That left Meath with six points from their seven games and it looked like it would be enough to keep them up but unfortunately Leash drew with Kildare in their final game that meant that the Lily Whites were safe and also Armagh just edged out Meath on scoring difference Meath were six points worse off than the Orchard County albeit they all had the same points Meath, Kildare 
and Armagh all on six points but unfortunately for me the scoring difference did for them and when you look back at the results it was that Galway game really down in Salt Hill that finished them off if that game had been anyway kind of close at all Meath would have stayed up unfortunately for them didn't work out that way and they were relegated worth noting though that I had a quick look at the league tables from the years since 2006 and I can, I can only find six teams in the last 14 or 15 years who were relegated with six points so uh, Meath a little bit unfortunate not unheard of for that to happen but quite unlucky if you were giving a team six points at the beginning of their league campaign they would be fairly confident that that would be enough to keep them up unfortunately for me it didn't work out for them on that particular occasion into the championship then they beat Louth in the opening round in Leinster then were beaten by Wexford a very disappointing performance in Croke Park not the last time that Wexford would do serious damage to a Meath team in the championship we'll be speaking about that in the next episode but they beat Carlo and they beat Roscommon in the qualifiers before bowing out to Leash in Park Talton so round three qualifier exit no worse really than the previous few years uh, the last few years of Sean Boylan's uh, reign but unfortunately it wasn't enough for Eamon Barry to hang on to his job as we know but let's get into it now we'll discuss the on-field stuff with Brian Farrell and Kevin Riley. Kevin I suppose to start with you first Brian talked last week with Anthony Moyles about the abuse that Sean Boylan was getting towards the end of his time in charge particularly those qualifier matches uh, against Fermanagh and Cavan. Eamon Barry comes in as new manager, so obviously there's a lot of pressure on him. Did you feel a lot of pressure as a Mead player then? Because I guess it's a little bit different to now. They were coming out of an era where they had a lot of success relatively recently, like 01 was an All-Ireland final, 99 was an All-Ireland final win. Uh, Darren Fay isn't part of the squad in 06, so you're kind of thrust in as fullback. You were fullback in 05, of course, as well. But did you feel a lot of pressure... As a, as a young me player at that point like I said we talked about Eamon Barry coming in replacing a legend in Sean Boylan but play, the players feel a lot of pressure back then as well because you know Mead was still considered to be one of the top teams at that stage and I can imagine it was it was difficult to try and you know take on that mantle let's say that had been there for years before Yeah I suppose um, having been given my chance under Sean the previous year um, as an 18 19 year old um I really got the opportunity to, I suppose, experience that firsthand um, inside the dressing room in terms of the standards that were set and the expectations of the squad um, that Sean and those players set um, over those previous years. And, you know, those standards, those expectations were still uh, sky high in 05, even though um, in the previous couple of years they probably didn't live up to the... um, expectations of 96, 99, but they were there and a large um, majority of the players were still there as well that were there in those days. So very much so. Um, Fast forwarding to 06, um, there was a big changing of the guard. There was a lot of players that weren't there in 06 that were there in 05 for various reasons. And you know, going from my first year into my second year in 06, it almost felt that, you know, I kind of had to make the step up, as as you mentioned, and that the fact that you, you were there um, into your second season, um, you, you, you had to carry on that 
that mantle. Um, growing up, watching those me teams, um, that's where you aspire to be. They're the standards that you uh, felt that you had to live up to. And to get a place on that me team, to be privileged enough, well, then you had to be um, showing those standards in training and in your club games. Um, um, and you had to earn that, earn that spot. And that was still the case in 06. Um, and you wanted to carry those those standards on. And Brian, you were the, you were the one that, that mentioned that last week about the the abuse that you heard Sean getting. Did that kind of shock you? And think did you kind of think to yourself, "Geez, you know, I'm not sure if I want to be if I want to be a part of this because you know you're out there doing your best, I suppose." And did, did it did it did it surprise you? I guess that that was the the level of feeling from me supporters. And you, if you're out there in the field, you're maybe in the back of your mind thinking, "Well, there could be some lad on the sideline or in the stand." giving me abuse. Was that something that ever entered your head? Um, it was probably a reality check, really, with the the level of expectation that came with being a Mead, from the Mead supporters, um, that they craved success, you know, and it wasn't good enough what was after mm-hmm. happening the previous years. Like, like the, yeah, absolutely no excuse for, for the abuse that Sean suffered. But at the end of the day, we were still young and enthusiastic. Like Kevin was 18, 19, I was 20, 21. Like we were, we were young and enthusiastic and all we wanted to be was be mead footballers and be successful mead footballers. So we were jumping like from Sean, like we knew the history that Sean had brought to mead, uh, to mead football down through the years. And we were just jumping into a new year. We were mm. thinking that we had 10 years ahead of us and we wanted to be as successful as we could, regardless who was in charge of us really. Mm. Um, I touched on the, the controversy that kind of surrounded Eamon Barry shortly after he was appointed so we, we need to go back into that I talked to Colin Keyes about that a little bit earlier in this episode but in terms of getting things onto the pitch like I, I remember because my own brother was uh, involved in trials and I think he got a rattle of a shoulder against a lad down in Longford and I don't think his shoulder's been right since that was him done with Intercounty football so he really like there was no stone left unturned and, and as you mentioned Kevin and we'll talk about the, the changeover in a minute but lots of new faces come in every player who was anywhere related to an inter-county footballer in the county got a chance got a run so do you guys remember like I, I don't don't recall if you if you would have had to try out yourselves or if you were exempt from that I suspect maybe maybe you did and maybe that's the reason one or two guys uh, opted out but you might talk to us about that did you have to go to trials do you remember the first meeting of, of the panel with Eamon Kevin um I don't recall the first meeting, but I suppose there was a handful of us in the exception um, that were playing third level football at the time. So for, um, I suppose, the pre-season uh, and O'Byrne Cup, we were involved with DCU. Um, so uh, we would have played our league football in the autumn winter and then would have played O'Byrne Cup. We actually played against Mead in 06 um, in Navan, um, which was an experience Um in, in its own right, you know, so we would have joined the um, panel full time um, after February, after the Sigerson, I suppose. So I kind of, I wouldn't have been there for the initial um, introductory period, we'll say. What about you, Brian? Yeah, so at that, that time, I suppose, we were after, as I mentioned, the previous uh, episode, we were talking, uh, Sean introduced um, strength and conditioning. So we finished that year in 05, and he had introduced also a lot of new blood, and we were enthusiastic about 06 and ready to go. But the call actually never came. The trials that happened that year, as I recall, was anybody, nobody was invited that was already on the panel. So okay. they were all held back. So he had a trials and he picked maybe a panel of 30 guys excluding 
the 20 uh, the 2005 panel members and right. they went training from November so I remember the, the, we were kind of wondering what was going on when were we going to be asked back you know were we gone were we forgotten about were they going to it was a completely new era and um that was it they started up training in November December and I actually remember our first training was the week before the Auburn Cup when we were all called in and I think there was about 60 guys 65 guys in Walterstown out in the back pitch for Eamon's first training and right. that was the way that was the way it took off and he was the very it was it was odd because we were mad to get back into the strength and conditioning mad to get back at cardio and it was we were actually set against the guys that were after training for about eight weeks with him and it was run until the new guys passed you you know what i mean so it was that it was, really? it was that it was that it was that level of old school and then like with that look at there's pros and cons with that there was a lot of new faces uh, put their hands up and they got their chance that they mightn't have got if he didn't run it that way you know but for us we came in the week before the Auburn Cup and hence that gave an opportunity for all the new guys that had been training for the eight weeks or two months beforehand to play Auburn Cup they had a bit of a start and and Mead won the Auburn Cup that year beat Dublin in the semi-final and beat Offaly in the final um you touched on it there, and it's it, it sounded kind of a, a a bit of a throwback. There was what was the training like? Was it was it was you know was it was it very very tough, very physical, very demanding, Kevin? Um, yeah, like for, like Brian was saying, it's just it's bringing back memories there of running around Walterstown pitch in the dark, um, and we were just running laps, uh, laps for 40, 50 minutes, and as many as you could do in that time. Um, as Brian said, like some of the training methods. Uh, compared to the previous year with strength conditioning um, you know like we were up on treadmills measuring VO2 max and been given kind of the cutting edge sports science um, back then especially you know um, they're definitely leading the way in relation to sports science and then going back um, into running last for 40-50 minutes um, it was an alternative method let's say um, so and and do you think that was you know was it was it a kind of a mental test as much as anything do you think to to try and see who was going to stick it out and because you know we've seen this with managers we've seen this with managers um you know regularly you, you hear these stories of lads being being run and it's just a matter of so seeing who'll stick with it and who'll hang in there is is that part of what it was do you think Kevin? Uh, possibly, um, possibly was. Um, I... I suppose, like 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 Brian was saying there, if you're pitting one group against the other, and again, when you're back 19, 20 years of age, you don't question these things. You just get on with it because, um, you know, you have that trust in the management and the coaching staff. And at the end of the day, you just want to play football for Meads. And if this is what you have to do, you just go about it and you get it done. And, you know, hopefully you put your hand up for a place on, on the match day uh, squad, you know. Mm. Um, so you don't question these things. It's, I suppose it's only in hindsight that when you're looking back um, and reflecting on your career that, um, you know, you might, you might reflect on it uh, and compare and contrast different regimes. And um, Brian, for yourself, like, was, was it like that throughout the year? Did you feel any fitter in 06 versus 05 or how did that compare? Like I suppose Kevin mentioned it there. Like when 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 you're young and you're in and you want to be a mid footballer and you look back on the success of 
uh, previous teams, you just, you don't know what you were told. Like, you didn't question it. You went out, like, and if you were told to do 40 laps a night, you, you just do it. Like, you, you might like it at the time, but you just done it because you assumed that the team that's over you, the management team that's over you, they know best. You know what I mean? And where we where we fit are definitely at the beginning of the year, which uh, which transpired itself into the O'Byrne Cup. But if you remember back in, in, in those days, like in the, in the 2000s and that not too many people are putting out their the World Cup's always used was always used as a, a time to try out new faces and that so the fittest team and whoever started back the earliest ultimately won it like we had some great successes the earlier we went back you know um, but like with that like uh, what, when you look back on it now and, and at the time we wouldn't have seen it it's just when you come into better setups as it went on like there was no coach there was no fitness coach. There was no football coach. There was no strength and condition coach. There was no nutritionist. <clears throat> they weren't involved in 06, you know, whereas we had just introduced them in 04 and 05. So it was kind of in a coaching model, taking taking a step backwards. But as I said there, Eamon was first uh, front and centre of it all. He He would have taken the fitness run and he would have done the drills, you know. Yeah, he was very. He was obviously very hands on. I mean, again, we we talked about it last week, but obviously had massive success with with Dunshockland, and that was a serious Dunshockland team in terms of the hunger and the fitness and the strength that they had. So I guess it was a case of he was sticking with what he knew in terms of what had worked from before with with Dunshockland, and then transposing that onto a meat setup. Was that probably what it was, Brian? Do you think? Absolutely, yeah. Well, he would definitely wasn't going to change his ways. They had brought serious success um, and nobody could touch that team as you remember for a few years you know so mm. he was bringing that straight in. and he was probably looking like he was probably he was a mead supporter don't forget for the years prior to that so he was probably looking saying these guys that's in there in the last three or four years have been underachieving mead should be winning all Ireland and he was saying well you haven't done it you guys haven't done it so I'm bringing in these guys to put the skids under you you know and I remember the first training we were put straight away warm up and put in one corner wearing orange bibs and the other guy's in the opposite corner and we're told to run and when they pass us out it's going now you have a guy that's not inter-county standard passing you out you know so like right. that that was his like that was his method of of, of motivation that you to do better I suppose motivation yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so looking at the league then and again as I said it's like Mead were, were like whatever whatever anybody else says about that year. Like Mead were very very unlucky to get relegated on six points. I even was reading the, the the Chronicle and they were talking about how four points would keep them up, and in the end six didn't. So opening game lost against uh, down fifteen points to one eight. Then a really good win over Armagh nineteen points to one nine. Beat Leash. Then you lost to Wexford down there, which was a, a bit of a disaster given I think Joe Robinson got two early goals in that one and looked like Mead were going to win that one. And at that point would have been looking at promotion. Uh, and then, uh, Brian, I guess the Kildare game is the one that a lot of Meade fans from that time will remember, which is when yourself and Joe Sheridan were taken off after 20-odd minutes. Um, and I was just reading some of the quotes from the paper uh, from, from Eamon afterwards where he said players weren't some players weren't doing what they were being told to do. Um, what was the... Because, again, I've heard various reasons for why, what, what happened there. What was the, the reason that you were taken off that day? Can you tell us? Because you scored 1-1 yeah. one, one at that stage. <laughs> I suppose, like, ultimately, that nearly league campaign is remembered for them moments, you know, mm, being taken yeah. off during that. But, like, like it was a decent enough league campaign. That that uh, Wexford game probably wobbled us a good bit. And then the wheels kind of fell off and, uh, against Galway. And then we got the win against Derry when we thought yeah. it would be enough to keep us up. Um, what, what went wrong that day? I, I don't know, to be honest with you. One of the things probably... 
possibly that my biggest criticism of him and down through, like when he was over it would be his lack of communication to us. So we right. were actually, I was never actually told what I did or did not do during that period. And, you know, you're still young and it wasn't the first time I was ever taken off in the first half or the last time. And as a corner forward or full forward, it, it often happens. But it was just a lack of knowing what you'd done. And I, I found out like through my parents and through that in the media after it. So the media asked it the question and he was able to give the answer to the media but just wasn't able to give it to to us you know so look at it that was it that was his decision and you stood by that look I took it bad I'm not going to lie to you I I, I did take it bad uh, I didn't think there was any I, I, I felt sinned against and if I recall I don't think I even went training the following night uh, the following whenever we were training and then the phone call came from him to ask me back and then he explained that time on the phone why he took me off what was the and, explanation? That was shooting from outside the scoring zone. Okay, um, which was out, outside I, outside the D or outside? There was a strong wind outside, that I saw mentioned. Yeah, outside the D. Do you know what? I can't. I can't even. Rem- I can't remember. Right. To be honest right, with right. you, so I can't. Um, but like, I, I think I probably had two wayward shots. But that was it. That was his. Is probably he, he. Like you know, he probably came in and he had a few things in mind before the whole year started that he needed to. Mm. I, I suppose stamp his authority and one of them was doing what he'd done early in the year bringing the other guys in and the other was that he was going to make an example of certain guys at the right moment and something right. clicked in his head and says this is the moment to stamp my authority and well, unfortunately I was and Joe was, were the fall guys that game you know but I suppose after that probably took his toll a little bit on me personally because like when I went back I didn't expect him to play me I told him not in the right frame of mind to play the next game against Galway that to bring some of the younger guys in or some of the newer guys even, and I ended up going down and not being in the right frame of mind through my own fault, getting straight red in that game, and then missing the Derry game. You know, so it was, it was, um, it was one sin, and it was kind of two bulls going against each other, and there was no winner. Yeah, and and just finally on that one, like, was that? I know you said you weren't told after the game until the following week, but was that something that was discussed beforehand? Were you would you have been told as a group in the dressing room that you're not to shoot from outside a certain scoring zone or something like that? I suppose offhand, I can't really remember. It, it must have been if I, if I got the curly finger so soon. Um, maybe you but... were maybe you were getting the, the, the rub down or something when that message was passed on. You you didn't catch it, but it was it was a remarkable it was just a remarkable um, incident because again it was so early in the game. I think Mead ended up making three or four substitutions early in that match. Paderborn got sent off, so it all kind of went belly up. But as you said there, you know it was just a bit of a shock to the system, I'd imagine. But you know, you look at the you look at the, the the Armagh game, for example, nineteen points. Like that's a hell of a score to put up. And, and you know, Leash at home, Leash were uh, had been Leinster champions relatively recently before then. They finished meet off in the, in the championship later on that year. But but Kevin, it was a it was a real topsy turvy league. And we will get onto the championship in a second. But you know, was it what was the mood like in the camp? Because the results were kind of so up and down. And I I remember you must have been suspended or, or injured for the game against Galway because I actually went down to that one and thank God I made a weekend out of it because it wasn't a, it wasn't an enjoyable game to be watching as a need supporter. David Gallagher I think was thrown in at full back and uh, he he would admit himself he didn't have a great day. But the, the results were, were were so up and down. Some really impressive. And reading the reports of the matches, really attacking, you know, open style of football. A lot of new lads in there as you said and. You know, things were just up and down, but was the was the, the atmosphere and training, you know, on shaky ground? Was it good? Was it bad? Yeah, um I think I I think I picked up an injury in the Kildare game and I would have missed the next two against Galway and the Derry. And 
look, I don't like saying it, but I was probably a little bit relieved that I missed those games. Um, you know, it was a bit of a timeout for me. Um, as Brian said, the fallout after the, um, wasn't it the, the Kildare game in the league? Um, mm. You know, it was, it, it took its toll on the squad, I think. And there was a little bit of a, an ill feeling there and uh, like I remember the the video analysis after it um, the following night I don't know if Brian remembers it but um, he wasn't there probably (laughs) probably wasn't there Uh, didn't didn't make it Um, but yeah it was tough going we we analysed the game with a fine uh, tooth comb and um, we were through everything right from uh, the lads being taken off um, the shot selection as Brian said that's that's something that sticks out in my mind still Um, I remember even the telling Joe that uh, Joe kicked a fantastic point from the sideline I believe um, and he said Joe that was one of the greatest points I've ever seen and then there was a pause and a silence and actually, actually uh, no no it wasn't and you know the, there was a stunned silence in the group and the meeting went on and uh, he finished up but after that look there was there was a bit of a fallout and an ill feeling but looking back to um uh, the squad that we had and some of the individuals like Brian, like Joe um, in their prime, uh, coupled that with Dottie Regan and P.T. Curran. Uh, P.T. was shooting the lights out that year. Um, and then you had Anthony and Nigel and Graham there as well. So like we had the makings of a strong team. And as you said, like the, we played some great, fast attacking football, putting up big numbers, um, putting up big scores. And, you know, the, the talent was there. And, you know, when we cut loose and just went out and played and played the way we knew we could, um, you know, we, we got some good results and put up some big scores, um, mm. possibly in spite of all that was going on behind the scenes. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And just, again, not to harp on about the, the, the atmosphere in the dressing room, but say for that Kildare game, the, clear, the, 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 the video session you did, it was clearly our talks later on, I think, as well in the year, but... You know, were any of the senior members, like say Anthony Moyles or that, would they have been asking questions in terms of what was being done, or would you have just sort of sat there and, and kind of just taken on board what was being said by the management? Kevin, uh, yeah, well, for me again, it was your second year in. You're only, uh, I was only, I only turned twenty that year, so um, it was a case of doing what you you were told. And um, again, the overarching theme is that you wanted to play for Mead, you wanted to be a Mead footballer, you wanted to be a successful Mead footballer as Brian was saying earlier and you would do everything in your power to achieve that and that was uh, get on with things and do your very best while you're on the pitch um, and, and that was it from my perspective um, some of the older more experienced guys having played under Sean and experienced Sean's methods for so long ah, look it, no doubt they they would have had questions to ask um and you know we're we're questioning kind of philosophies and methods training styles etc because there has there was even in my short time there um there was a huge um contrast in in a lot of things that were being done but um like that it was a proven try tried and tested measure with Dunshoplin only a few years later or earlier so um I suppose the, the philosophy there was uh, let's introduce it into a county setup and see what happens. Mm. Moving on to the championship, so again, you were talking about that, Kevin, the, the turnover. Like we, we talked about last week, we talked about the change in, in the team from we picked the All Ireland final in 01 versus the first game uh, against or the game against Dublin in 05. And I think there were only four survivors from the 01 All Ireland final to the 05 game. And then looking at the Loud game, Against uh, against Loud against in two thousand and six in the Leinster Championship, so Eamon Barry's first championship match. So compared that to the Cavan game, uh, which was Sean Boylan's last game, no five. There were eight changes from the from the final game that Sean Boylan had, and five of them were actually in defence. Brendan Murphy came in, Niall McLaughlin, Stephen McGowan, Seamus Kenny, and John Dunne who came in in defence. Mark Ward came in in midfield, and Pete Kern, as you mentioned, uh, started in the four line. Dahi Regan was a change as well, but of course Dahi had been around the panel a few years at that stage. So. A massive turnover, Kevin, as you said there. So you must have nearly felt like the the old hand surrounded by a lot of these new lads. And, you know, I was just looking through the, the names there. Like, you know, Niall McLaughlin, very pacey. Stephen McGowan, bit of size, bit of pace. Seamus, obviously, pacey. John Donoghue, bit of physicality. So, you know, a lot of new faces in there. And again, like we talked about, you know, Eamon Barry, he really did trawl the county for, for new faces. And you couldn't accuse him of, of just going with the same old same old guys. Like he brought in a lot of new new players. But as as you you at full back kind of with a lot of new lads around, did you kind of feel like you had to take on more of an experienced role than maybe your your years of service had warranted at that point because you had so many fresh faces around you? Yeah, probably. Um I think it was something that um was trust upon me in the sense that there has been there was so much changes around me in that regard um and it was definitely you know second season syndrome in a lot uh, lots of ways where um it was such an experience such a, a novelty really being in on a me team under Sean with all these players that you would have uh, grown up idolizing 
And next thing, um, as you say, you're probably one of the more experienced ones the year after, especially in defence. And like that with any team, when you have such turnover, it takes time. It takes time for lads to get to know each other. Um, it takes time to um, figure out certain styles of play, patterns of play, tactics. Um, you know, uh, if so, if so, what way the half back line play uh, as a unit, and you know, do lads attack? Do they, and that all takes time to to figure out. And unfortunately, because we had so many changes so quickly um, in so little time, it, it it became that little bit disjointed. Um, you know, when there, when there was such wholesale changes, um, so all that would have kind of. Uh, uh, taking a little bit of time to to bed in when time we just didn't have, unfortunately. Mm. And and for you, Brian, again, like uh, mostly, as I said, the, the changes came in the backs. Um, now, again, in fairness, like you know, we we see it with managers all the time. It's very difficult to come in in one year and 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 make changes. And this was at a time, I guess, when you know Sean Boylan, as we talked about before, was on a year to year. He had to get he had to get ratified every single year when he was there. So Eamon Barry comes in for a year as well. Was obviously hoping he'd get maybe two or three at it to try and implement these changes but Brian for you like you know th- did you think there was too much change in a short space of time or you know could you see that the value that these ads were adding yeah do you know what I, I wouldn't say there was too much change but I'll say it was, as I said at the beginning he wanted to put his stamp on it right so he did troll the county and he gave every every single p- player worth their salt within me could not have felt hard done by you know they got their chance and like mm. There's some lads will be feel very grateful to him and, and wouldn't have been pro- possibly uncovered if he wasn't there. Like you'd like to say, um, off member Barry Lynch come, came in, Pete C. Curran, yeah. as Kevin mentioned, came in, John Donahue, who you mentioned, Nile McLaughlin, Martin Doran, Shane McInerney was in his first time with him, and I don't think he played championship that year. But there's a lot of good players that maybe were being overlooked before, so he did bring them in. Now, on the downside of that, we ended up. Uh, with about 50 lads training and it's very hard to get a level of intensity into it it's very hard even when you go with the logistics of going to games those lads being left behind not being able to be brought on the bus with going regards county board budgets we weren't able to get anything that year I remember we got we got nothing not a tracksuit not a top because Eamon wanted to keep the volume of lads and obviously the there was something that was on in the background there. The county board were telling him to cut it, the panel. He wasn't cutting it. And that even transpired into the quality of food we ended up getting, you know. But right. as I said to you there, there's pros and cons there. Those six or seven lads would never have been discovered. And go back, what what, what that influx of, of, of a new generation made football about, it, it, it propelled us to being, I suppose, we weren't older uh, by our age, but we were older by, we had been there three or four years. You know what I mean? It was Kevin's second year, it was probably my fourth. So, uh, and it was the first time actually against Loud that I actually realised you have to try and be a leader here. You have to step up and talk, you know, especially at half time because we were after having a, a very bad first half in that game and we're down three or four points at half time, you know. And I just remember going off the pitch. It was the first time that I actually said, you need, to, you need to say something here. You need to do something. Mm. Yeah, and that was the game where you were trailing, as you said, at half time. And then you come out in the second half, Loud don't score. And Mead run out one fifteen to, to 10 points winners. Um we talked about Wexford in the league earlier on. Wexford in the championship as well was uh, a low point, not for the first time in this uh, in this particular period of time. We'll talk about the 08 game in the next episode. Uh, thankfully, you won't have to you won't have to discuss that one. But the game in 06 in Croke Park, I think Paderborn was sent off. I think Anthony Moyles um, was just back from injury, came on and got a goal. But Wexford Wexford won that one fairly comfortably. Again, you know, 
we talked about the, the up and down results. Was that was that a, a low point, Kevin? Do you remember that game particularly well, or what do you remember about it? I know Maddie Ford had a blind or not for the first time against Mead. Yeah, like that. Um, we're possibly going game to game, having played kind of good spells in. Uh, certain games we just couldn't put forward a consistent kind of uh, performance and like that when um, you know you're, you're losing certain players uh, at, at, at times during the game um, it's just it becomes survival um, and you're very much playing for yourself in your own position I know um like going back to that day, I think I was marking PJ Banville, and basically, you're, it was a one on one duel, him against myself, and you're looking to come out on that. Um, and as Brian says, like, unfortunately, we have been trust, trusted into the leadership kind of team uh, very quickly there, um, and possibly. Um, you know, at that time, you probably didn't have the skills to to, to do that. Um, having just been uh, introduced to a county setup, you're asking to 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 lead the line and lead your position. Um, but I think first and foremost, you kind of had to just well, the way you're thinking is win your individual battle against your direct opponent, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully everybody else would take. Um, you know, take ownership of their battles and win those. And it wasn't a collective performance, it was a, um, a sum of all the individual performances. That's how it felt for me. Yeah. Um, so, me take on Carlo in the, in the qualifiers again. <laughs> it was a famous photograph of, of Graham throwing his jersey at Eamon uh, after that one. So, they obviously had a, a rocky relationship, a love hate relationship there. He was back in the team for the, the Roscommon game the next day. But Liam Hayes actually was managing Carlo at that time and, and made some quip before the game that some of the Carlo lads would, would get in the me team, which I don't, went, don't think went down too well. Liam was trying to stir the pot up a little bit there. But then we come back to another uh, another really good performance against Roscommon in the qualifiers. And anyone that watched the uh, the Shane Curran documentary recently will know that John Mohan took over Ross Common that year and uh, got a few, got rid of a lot of lads and I don't think was overly popular uh, in Ross Common. Now Mead ran out one nineteen to nine point winners in Park Talton again. Brian, uh, like a super total to put up one nineteen in a championship match. Whatever opposition you're up against, Ross Common had been been beaten by Galway in, in Connacht and I thought put up a, reading it, the reports put up a reasonably good show on that day. Um, like that was a great performance again and from reading the match reports as I said we're, we're praising I think Keevan King got the goals from corner back we're praising the, the style of football the open attacking play that Mead had defenders attacking so you know again a, a kind of a, a confusing one to, to look at that performance with some of the other ones that went on but that was a, a really good day for me the name and Barry I think he said afterwards he's give, he was giving Mead 8 out of 10 that there was still room for improvement but like that was a really good performance and a, and a really positive performance to take into the, the, the Leash game, that Common game. Do you remember that one, Brian? I remember getting an 8 out of 10 in it anyhow. And if you got an 8 out of 10 in Eamon's books, that was 11 out of 10 in all our books, you know? <laughs> like, what, like, what I'll say is, like, it, there was always performances like that throughout all, even throughout the league, because did, in fairness to the, to the management team, they, they didn't encourage... Uh, they encourage an expansive type of football. It was all express yourself individually, as Kevin mentioned there. Okay, and that was that was throughout that throughout good, bad, and ugly. So when it was good, it was expansive. We were getting forward and we were getting scores and we were going for the juggler. 
but we were very open at the back in all them games yeah. and the lads were often more times you look down the field and you see the guys like so Kevin and Niamh McCaig and the guys there they were always left one on one you know and we were always going to be susceptible to letting a few goals and if I remember when we ended up playing against Leash when we ended up losing we were completely open at the back and Ross only I think got a goal or maybe two in that game you know so like it worked really well going forward, but there was no collective tactics. There was no kind of gelling all together where your half-back should sit in front of your full-back line to help out the man beside you. It was all go out and prove yourself, you know? Mm. Yeah. Okay, now that makes sense because, yeah, you, you, you touched on it there. And I remember, I think I was down at a wedding down the country somewhere, and it was one of these places that if you asked them, was there a television around, they'd be looking at you as if you two heads. It was one of these old kind of castles, and I was getting... On my old Nokia, I was getting text updates from my brother who was in Park Halton for the Leash game. Really sunny evening. And as I said, Leash that year actually went on to lose narrowly to Mayo in the quarterfinal. So this was a round three qualifier. Um, and exactly like you said, Brian, I think it was it was in the second half. It was in the melting pot. And Leash kind of broke upfield, as, as you said, and, and kind of caught me out. Uh, but again, another fairly encouraging performance. Kevin, do you remember that one again? It was like you were well in that game and just probably, as, as Brian mentioned there, just maybe a little bit too gung-ho and the defence was, was caught out on, on, a, on a kind of a fast break. Yeah, I think um, we actually played really well that day. Um, going forward, you know, fast attacking football. Um, you know, there was a great atmosphere in Park Talton. And, um, you know, for, for large periods of that game, we played really well. Um, unfortunately, um, as you mentioned, it, we we were very exposed at the back. It was it was one on one football. There was you know the full back and the corner back um, inside the half of the pitch, and then everybody was up in the opposition half. So when the play broke down, um, you know there was the counter attack was on, and it it was uh, you know it was, it was dangerous, and we got punished as a result. We got punished twice uh, with two goals, um, and the end up being the difference but um, yeah we played some great attacking football but um, you know there was no defensive cover at all and it, it was literally one on one in our half uh, for large periods and I thought we um, coped with it pretty well for maybe you know the, the majority of the game but we, we got two sucker punches on the counter there and uh, that was the difference and that was, that was us out of the championship for the year do you think it was, would it have been possible to, you know, can you have both? Like even talking about, you know, football as a, as, in, as a whole in general terms, the way that me team played though, would it have been possible to, to kind of have that attack and flair and still have a bit of defensive solidity, you think? Would it just meant, it would have meant presumably sacrificing something? Um, I don't think it had to be, you know, that much. But it, like it, we went all out attack, you know, and yeah. when it worked, it was fabulous. It looked brilliant. You had everybody involved. You had the ball going through the hands, lads off the shoulder, uh, cutting through the fence. Fabulous. But when it doesn't work out, and when the ball breaks down, and you know somebody drops or misplaces a pass, um, next thing we're all out of position, bar uh, the full back line, and it's. Um, you know, every man for himself, and uh, that doesn't work. And it didn't work back then, and definitely doesn't work now. Um, you know, so you don't have to get too technical or too complex about it. But when you're all out attack and it doesn't work, um, you're going to get punished. And you know, that's what we saw. Like, if you go back through the scores, um, both league and championship, we leaked heavily because of this, unfortunately. Yeah, we ran up some big scores, um, for. 
but we also leaked. Um, and, you know, during that period, it was trying and score more than the opposition um, rather than, you know, try and limit their scores. Like if you could limit a, a, an inter-county championship team to 12 points, maybe, you know, you're going to win the game. But it was try and score one more than the opposition. I think that was the philosophy for us uh, that year, you know. It sounds very much like the, uh, the Kevin Keegan, Newcastle United philosophy from the late 90s for, for those of us that are old enough <laughs> to remember that. Um, and Brian, so that game in, in Navin, as you said there, brings down the curtain on Eamon Barry's first year and it turns out to be his only year. Do you remember anything much after that? Like what was said in the dressing room? You know, again, we know from, from talking about it last, earlier with, with Colin Keyes, uh, Colin Coyle comes in, but obviously Eamon would have been hopeful to, to, to get another year. And, and look, when you look at the when you look at the previous years that we talked about last week with Sean, when things weren't going great. So that leash game in 06 was a round three qualifier match. They were, you know, one more win, what that win that game and win another one and you're into a quarter final. You know, to compare it to the previous years, 2002 round four, 2000, 2003 uh, round three, 2004 round two and 2005 round three. So Meath had really been kind of not, not doing much better than that. And they, you know, so Eamon Barry had done, as well that year as, as anyone had done in the previous year, like Sean had done in the years before, really, with the exception of 2002. So, Brian, at the end of that you know, game and at the end of that year, do you remember uh, what was said by, by Eamon or was there, was there much said after that game? Again, I know we say it's a long time ago, but do you recall much about the aftermath of that game and, and what he said about his own future? I don't, to be honest with you. Like, what happens at the end of games when the championship is over, like, you put, we put so much work into it, like, there was probably back in was it January when we started when we met up you know that was all like so you were together you were together probably three four nights a week so regardless of who's at the helm when you're losing the championship you know anything could be said you know but mm. just it's just completely over your head like you're in a kind of a morbid frame of mind you know but um, no I, I don't remember like, I, I, I don't actually remember like was there what went on I'm sure something went on off the field between uh, the end of 2016 and when Colin Coyle was appointed I'm sure Eamon wanted it again I just don't I, I, I can't remember offhand what exactly happened yeah, I mean, uh, we, we, as I said, we talked about it earlier with with Colin Keyes. So yeah, there, w- there was a meeting, and basically Colin Coyle was was voted in, and that was it. But you know, whatever people talk, whatever people kind of say about Eamon, and obviously, you know, he has he has his fans, and he has people that would consider him to be divisive. But he had a year there. He was coming in after somebody who'd been there for twenty three years, and Sean. He was trying to put his own stamp on things. He was trying to bring in a lot of new players. And Brian and Kevin, like you both, you both, you know, managed obviously Brian very successfully uh, last year at Retoat. But you know, you would appreciate, I'm sure, Brian, the, the difficulty that's there coming in, especially after after a legend like Sean Boyle and trying to make changes and trying to put your own stamp on things. It's very difficult to do that in just one year. So. I mean, I, I don't know if you could say Eamon was hard done by um, or anything like that. Colin Coyle came in, obviously, and did well the following year. But it is very difficult, isn't it, to, to make those kind of changes in, in a short period of time in one season. And as I said a little bit earlier, most managers now get two, three years of a term and then maybe it's reviewed after two years. But to come in after one year and, to, you know, I'm not sure what he would have needed to do to keep the job, Eamon. He might have had to win a Leinster to, to keep it. But it's tough to, to do all that kind of stuff in just one year, I would say, Brian. Yeah, it is. And like Eamon had his going back to his Dunshockland time. He's a he was a proven successful manager coming into a county setup. And I suppose he needed to probably communicate a little bit better towards the players and to get them to buy in, explain 
his methods behind the bits of madness that's going to unfold during the year and as they unfold it. And also make sure that he had the county board on site, you know. But in order to go in and to make that rapid change so quick, them amount of changes so quick, it was never really going to work. And it doesn't work in any organization. Like, to change is slow. You have to... You- you have to integrate it, the old with the new and gradually it will happen. And I think he just prob- probably tried too quick to put his stamp on it, you know. And there is other managers that go in and maybe have his kind of philosophy. So say if you take, for example, David Fitzgerald, the counties that he's gone around, like his methods wouldn't be too unlike probably Eamon's going into it, you know. So like possibly if given time, but more importantly, given the buy-in, he needed to be able to communicate that and get the buy-in from the internal group. It could have led to something successful, yes. And did you did you feel that that was uh, that was one of the big problems that the buy-in wasn't there? Like per- personally, you're talking about at that time I was a 21 year old guy which. It took everything to heart. So, like, if I think back to what happened in the Kildare game, and then if what happened at the beginning of the year with not being asked in, and then all of a sudden you're running against guys that have been in there. Then I go back to even that leash game. Personally, I was after playing all the games that was available for up until that, and I was actually an unused sub in that leash game with no communication to me regards what I done wrong or what I didn't. I heard subsequently what I done wrong about two weeks after that. Um, but like, oh, which, uh, which was? You might as well I tell was, us. I, I was alleged to have played a soccer game, but I, oh. I, I can't play soccer for love nor money myself. So I, it definitely wasn't me that played the soccer game. I think it was, there was a soccer game in Bohemian and my brother actually played in goals for Electro Celtic second team. And word obviously started spindling around. I think that it was me that played it, but it definitely the record it wasn't me. But maybe it wasn't that. Maybe that's what I heard. But maybe it was my performances weren't good enough. But it goes back to the communication thing, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, look, that's that's another. You would you had quite an eventful year in two thousand and six. Actually, you were the right man to get on for this one. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and Kevin, just finally for you. I mean, you mentioned all the changes that came in there. Did it? Again, I suppose it's difficult when you're in the middle of these things. Like, I, as I said a little bit earlier on, when I kind of started, to, when I started to think about doing this whole series and looking at the, the, the end of the Boylan era and Eamon Barry's time and, and Colin Coyle's time, I had forgotten like 90% of the stuff that went on in terms of the off the field stuff. But for you as a player at the time, a young lad on the squad, did it feel, you know, did, at the time did it feel this is all a bit hectic and a bit mad or... Is it is it hard to, to think like that when you're in the middle of it? Because you're just you're training, you're playing, you're training, you're playing. Did you ever think to yourself, God, this is this is a bit of a, it's turning into a bit of a mad year between between winning games, losing games, playing really well, playing not so well? How did it, you know? Can you think back to that time or how it felt at the time? Yeah, I think as a player, um, and when you're in the middle of all this and you're focusing on performance and the next game and training and games, um, you do get caught up on it. And it's only afterwards, um, say when you finish up or you're out of that specific environment, that you think back and you think about all that went on around it. But you see, you can be engrossed in... um, you know, the, the, the whole um, journey. And I think for me, that was the case. And for lots of years, it's only now that you're looking back and reflecting on your career and you're looking at everything else that has happened outside it because um, you can't, in lots of ways, you can't let anything um external effect kind of what's going on good bad or indifferent 
um, because it can just take away from um, your level of performance or take away from from what the squad are trying to achieve. However, there there were some big moments during that year on reflection that uh, possibly could have dented our hopes, as you say, and uh, like Brian has shared a couple of his um, personal experiences there. I don't know what I did to, I must have escaped it for relatively clean that year. But um, yeah, most definitely. Um, I'm sure like some of the older lads that that have been around and look, there, there was huge change, as we said earlier, change in methods, change in the backroom team, at county board level, there was big change and yeah. um, the allowances in terms of, uh, you know, gear, food, all massive differences. Um, and even, as we said, like the, the training methods in terms of the sports science, the strength conditioning, huge changes. So they're all going to pose questions. And, um, you know, when you do have that rapid change in so many areas of team performance, um, you know, I don't know if, if it has the, the, the desired outcome um, compared to maybe, you know, focusing on one or two areas and and and. And making gains there, but and then couple that with the amount of personnel, the turnover in personnel over the last couple of the the, the two years, um, you know, there's just too much change in one year to you know guarantee or be certain of any any um, significant progress that year. Absolutely. Well, listen, as you said there, yeah, huge change on and off the field for me around that time. And uh, as you said, it was definitely a difficult period. It's certainly an interesting period to be involved as a player. I'm sure. Listen, uh, Brian, Farrell, first of all, thanks for being so honest and sharing some, opening up some old wounds there, I'm sure, if you talking about those games and those years. Yeah, look, you know, like, that's it, you know, but like, they were personal. Like, at the end of the day, I chose to go training every night. So I was buying into what he was trying to do and respected mm. him and still do as a person. Like, there's absolutely no animosity there. We Like, he achieved what he achieved in the club front and it still hasn't been emulated since, you know. So, as I said, I chose to go training every Tuesday and Friday night and go to the games at the weekend, as did everyone else there. Not too many walked away from it because we wanted to buy into what he was doing, you know. Yes, Kevin Riley and Brian Farrell looking back on a very eventful 2006 season. And one thing I didn't expect to come out of this podcast was to hear Mead compared with Newcastle from the uh, Kevin Keegan era, that all-out attacking style that Kevin mentioned there. And maybe there are some similarities. We've got the uh, ginger-haired attacking defender Steve Watson slash Keevine King. Uh, so maybe one or two comparisons there. Kevin Riley, of course, himself fond of the odd, uh, the odd bit of highlights in the hair. So maybe himself and Steve Howie. I seem to recall Steve Howie went through a highlights phase or a bleached blonde phase at one stage. And, uh, well, Pavel Cernicek, Brendan Murphy. I think Brendan Murphy's probably a better goalkeeper than Pavel Cernicek. And then the mercurial forward. Well, you've got Brian Farrell on the one hand and then David Jin or maybe Tino Asprea on the other as well so maybe there are more uh, comparisons there between that Meath and Newcastle team than I thought I think I'd have to give the uh, David Batty role to uh, maybe Mark Ward or Pat or Byrne both combative figures and fond of picking up the odd red card as well let's be honest about it but I'm sure the lads won't thank me for saying that but uh, a really interesting year for Meath football and you know, we talked about it at the very beginning there and indeed during the piece there with the amount of players that Eamon Barry brought through and the fact that he really did like turn the county upside down looking for new players and a lot of those lads came in and some of them made more of an impression than others. But it's very difficult for a new manager to come in, blood all those new players and have success in the one season. And 
you almost wonder what it would have taken for Eamon Parry to get a second year in charge. Obviously, a Leinster title, something like that. But Meath didn't do any worse in 06 than they'd done in the previous few years when you look at the results and you look at how far they got in the championship. Now, you could point to the Wexford game in Croke Park as being a very disappointing performance, but there were plenty of those in the years before that as well. So you just do wonder uh, what it would have taken for Eamon Barry to get a second year in charge. And it would have been interesting to see how he would have developed things on if he had gotten a second season. But of course, we could say it about every manager that, that doesn't get on beyond their two or three seasons or one season in this case. You just never know how it would have turned out. But uh, it was definitely an eventful year for me, the football, that is for sure. So that's just about it for this second episode. I do hope you enjoyed it. Do get in touch on Twitter at David S Sport if you have any questions or comments. We'll be back with the final part next week episode 3 where we'll be talking about the Colin Coyle era with Anthony Moyles and Keane Ward and thinking about it I'm not sure I can think of too many polar opposite seasons coming back to back under the same manager as we had in 07 and 08 so it's going to be very interesting to get the lads memories and some painful ones I'm sure but we'll talk to the lads about that next week Anthony Moyles and Keane Ward so do join us then for the final episode and as I said do get in touch and do let people know about this podcast if you've enjoyed it and you think anyone will be interested in listening that's just about it for myself David Sheehan speak to you next week Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.